0: morning. It's good to see you all out this morning. It is is so good to see you. We do have a lot of visitors with us and that is wonderful. We're glad that you're here and you've taken this opportunity to study and to worship with us this morning. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read from that passage here in just a moment. The topic of our lesson this morning is going to be baptism. Baptism is a topic, of course, that all all of us as Christians understand just how important this topic is. But I I want to explain, perhaps at the beginning, why it is such an important topic. And I want to point you to a couple of places in Scripture that lead us to a study of baptism and to the importance of it. In Acts chapter 2 and verse number 37, at the conclusion of the sermon that Peter had preached on the day of Pentecost... He had taught Jesus Christ, and he had told them the story of the gospel. And it's the question that those people asked at the conclusion of his sermon that is so important. They asked Peter, what do we do? We hear you. We have been convicted. We understand. What what do we do? What, What are you telling us to do? It's the same question that the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 after that miraculous event where Paul and Silas had been freed from prison and the Philippian jailer who had been hearing Paul and Silas sing and had just witnessed the miraculous events that had taken place, he fell on his face before Paul and Silas and he asked, what must I do to be saved? You see, the fact that we're all here this morning is an indication to me that all of us are interested in that question. I have in front of me the Bible, the words of God Himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit and preserved for us for thousands of years, and I read it, and I read the story of Jesus Christ and the grace that He brought into this world, and the sacrifice that He offered on my behalf, and the response that every single one of us should have is, what do I do with I see what Christ has done for me. I believe that He is the Son of God. What what am I supposed to do with that? It might be the most important question any of us will ever ask. And it is truly a question that I would encourage all of us to pursue until you are confident of the answer. To that question. Do not be content to sit in a gray area where your answer to that question is, well, I don't really know. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's a little of this. I'm not not 100% sure. Don't be content there. This question is too important. Pursue it endlessly until you are confident in the answer to that question. About what God wants from you what his expectations are of you. And naturally, as we pursue that question, as we explore the answers to that question, another question will arise, and it will center around baptism. What is this baptism that we see all throughout the New Testament? Is it something that is required and necessary for me to be saved? How do I go about doing this? What, what am I supposed to do with it? Is it necessary? Those questions are naturally going to arise on the road of pursuing that ultimate question of what do I do? And it's that topic that I want to spend some time on this morning. The topic of baptism and its role in our salvation. And just how important it is for us to be children of God and to fulfill his mission and his desire for us in this life. So I want you to turn with me. Hopefully you found your way to 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to begin here this morning in verse number 18. 1 Peter chapter 3 beginning in verse number 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels, authorities, and powers, having been made subject to him. I want to start this morning in this passage in 1 Peter chapter 3 and I want to explore a little bit about how Peter addresses the topic of baptism and specifically the comparison that he makes to Noah and the flood in this particular passage of scripture. Now you may have heard as I read that, I'm reading from the New King James and you may have heard the word antitype um, used in this passage of scripture and I want to make sure that we clarify that. Most translations, in fact, the New King James is the only translation that will use antitype. So if you're reading from any other translation, that's not a word that you're going to see in there. And I actually think it's helpful. Because in our English vernacular, antitype, that's not a word I even understood. I had to go look that up. But other translations do a much better job of translating that and helping us understand what is being talked about here. So just to give you some, some idea of what Peter is doing, other translations, the ESV will we'll translate that as corresponds to this. The, the New American Standard similarly corresponding to that. Uh, the NIV, this water symbolizes baptism. And even the King James will translate it as a like figure. And so actually what is happening here, it's not that there is a distinction being drawn between Noah and the flood and how water saved them, but there's actually a parallel that is being made. They're not the same... They're not the same, but they're of the same pattern. They correspond to one another. There are similarities that Peter wants us to see between Noah and the flood and the salvation for Noah and his family that came through water and how baptism saves us today. And so let's just explore that for just a moment. And I want to maybe hold off on just the simple allusion to water for just a second. We'll get back to that. But I want us to think a little bit about what happened during the flood and the purpose that it served and how it might serve as a parallel to baptism today. So if you think about all the way back in Genesis, what what had happened in the world as Noah looked around and as God surveyed the world that he had created, what was the situation that God saw? Do you remember? He, He saw a world full of evil and wickedness and lust, and and just terrible behavior. His own creation had turned their backs on him almost entirely. And God looked upon it with disgust at what his own creation had done for him, done to him. And yet Noah, we're told, was one who was a righteous man. In Genesis chapter 6, We'll see. Actually, just turn with me briefly to Genesis chapter 6, and we can read this together instead of me just describing it to you. But in Genesis chapter 6, and verse number 8, we're told that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. But compared to Noah, verse 11 says, the earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Such a stark comparison being made between Noah and the rest of creation. And so God sent a flood that destroyed all of mankind and everything that God had created with the exception of Noah, his family, and the animals that God had spared. So when we look at that story and what took place there, and we make the parallels to baptism that Peter wants us to make, there is a time where we are defined by evil. There is a time where we have turned our backs on God. And then he provides an opportunity for new life to come. He provides an opportunity for regeneration. He provides an opportunity for a new creature to come about. In Genesis chapter 6, he did that through the flood. What's the parallel today in baptism? The same thing happens for us when we are baptized into Christ. In the same way that water separated the evil from the new, water does the same for us today. We enter into the waters of baptism as a corrupt person, as one who has turned our backs on God, one who is defined by sin, and we come out of the water a new creature. A new life has been given in the very same way that God did that through the flood. And He chose water to be the vessel of that salvation. And so Peter makes it abundantly clear by calling upon an Old Testament example to help us understand the role that baptism plays. It's not just something you do just because that's what you're supposed to do. It is something you do so that you can bury the old and rise again as a new creature. In the same way that God brought about regeneration after the flood, he does so in each individual who chooses to put on him in baptism. You can leave the old behind and rise up a new creature there's one other aspect of this that I think is important and it's interesting to me here in 1 Peter chapter 3 that Peter specifically calls out a few people that is eight Noah and his family that were saved when you think about the masses of people however many there may have been at the point of the flood it was only a few that were saved it wasn't because God didn't want to save them. It was because they had turned their backs on Him. They had lived a corrupt life and had no interest in their Creator any longer. But a few chose righteousness. A few chose God. As I was reading this, I couldn't help but be reminded of just how eerily similar this is in a lot of ways to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 in verse number 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Such similar language that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 7, compared to how Peter talks about this here in 1 Peter chapter. The opportunity to be saved, even in the days of Noah and the flood, was open to any that would choose God. But only a few did. Only a few chose the vessel of salvation that God provided. The same is true today. God provides to us a vessel of salvation and has extended the invitation to be saved to everyone. But unfortunately not much has changed since Noah and the flood and since Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 7 and where we live today. There are still few who find it. There are still few who take advantage of the opportunity that God has given to us to be saved through water, to rise up a new creature, and to have our sins washed away. the the title of of my lesson this morning is actually taken directly from 1 Peter chapter 3. In the parenthetical phrase that is used there in verse number 21, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. That that phrase struck me as I was studying this week. And, And I really think at the end of the day, That may summarize baptism as well as I can, do it? It's simply to read those words as we talk about what baptism is. It is an answer of a good conscience toward God. It is one recognizing the need that we have to be regenerated, recreated, to be made new, to have our sins forgiven. It's the recognition of that need that leads us to respond to God in baptism. As we go through the book of Acts, for instance, there are nine different examples in the book of Acts alone of men and women alike who do that very thing. They answer to God in baptism. They have been convicted through being taught the gospel of Jesus Christ and they responded in baptism. I'll just give you a few examples. We talked just a moment ago in Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. When they were cut to the heart, that's when they asked the question, what do we need to do? In Acts chapter 8 and verse 12, we're told that the Samaritan people were baptized. Quote, when they believed Philip as he preached. Responding to the message. Acts chapter 8 and verse 35 Philip there was preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch and we're told specifically in verse 35 that Philip preached to him Jesus. And it was after that that the Ethiopian eunuch saw water and asked to be baptized, responding to what he had heard. The Philippian jailer that I referenced a moment ago, similarly, he and his entire family were baptized after Paul and Silas, quote, Acts 16 and verse number 32, spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. There there are some out there who will try to make the case that baptism couldn't possibly be necessary or required for our salvation because that would be a work on our part. And we aren't saved by works. We're saved by grace. Therefore, baptism couldn't be required of us. Baptism is the furthest thing from a work. Baptism is a response to God. Baptism is a response to hearing the truth. Baptism is a response to understanding what Christ has done for us. And our need for forgiveness. It's an answer to God from a good conscience. It's an answer to Him from someone who understands I need to be forgiven. And left to my own devices, there there is nothing that I can do about the situation that I'm in. So Lord, I'm going to submit myself to you. And I'm going to respond to Christ through baptism. In every way, baptism is the response of a convicted and a convinced heart. That has heard the gospel. And when we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we understand what he has done for us. Then we should go all the way back to the way that we started the lesson this morning. And our response should be God what do you want from me? You name it. My life is in your hands. What do you want from me? And the answer that has been given to us. Clearly and repetitively. In the New Testament. is I want you to put that old man of sin to death. Paul will use the imagery in Romans chapter 6. Of Christ's death, burial and resurrection. And how baptism corresponds to that. I want you to. To put to death the old man. I want you to be buried in the waters of baptism. Just as Christ was buried after his death. And then I want you to rise up a new creature. One that is free of sin. One that is no longer bound by the chains of this world and by Satan. But has now been set free by God. the importance of baptism and its necessity for one who wants to follow God cannot be overstated. Because it's in that moment when unity is restored between man and God. In the same way that God restored the earth after the flood, the unity that He created us to have with Him is severed by sin, and it's through the waters of baptism that that unity is perfected once again. It's when our sins are washed away, and our hearts are therefore made a place where God can come and make His abode with us. In Acts chapter 22, where we read just a moment ago, for the lesson, Paul provides for us a powerful example of just how important baptism is. As in Acts chapter 22, Paul is recounting his conversion story as he does a couple of different times. And here in Acts chapter 22, he shares with us what Ananias said to him. After Paul's sight had been restored and God sent Ananias to speak to him We get the powerful words of Ananias in Acts chapter 22 and verse number 16 when he says, And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. The reason I think this example is is so powerful and how I want to conclude this morning is because Paul was a man who prior to this Prior to this, had already heard the voice of God with his own two ears. God had called him into service, into the work in his kingdom. But Paul had yet to been made, been made the new creation that God needed him to be. He needed to arise and be baptized so that his sins could be washed away. And it was only after that that he was prepared then to go and do the work that God had for him to do. The same is true for us today. We we will never, we will never be the people God need us to be and want us to be until we submit ourselves to Him in baptism. the good conscience within us responds to Him by being baptized so that we too can have our sins washed away. And the invitation to do that is open to all. The invitation to be saved by God has always been open to all. All He has ever wanted is for His creation to be unified with Him. And to recognize who he is. And so, as Peter described him there in 1 Peter chapter 3, he is still long-suffering with us. He is long-suffering with us because he doesn't want anyone to be lost. He put up with the people of the world in Genesis chapter 6 as long as he did. Because he didn't want them to be lost. And he is doing the same today. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. What he wants is for each of us to respond to him in a good conscience. And to recognize the need that we have for our Savior. And in the words of Ananias, to arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. If you're here this morning... And you have never become a Christian, a child of God through the waters of baptism. You are still living in sin. You are still a slave to sin. God calls you to a new life. A life of freedom. A life of joy. A life of hope. And that can only be had When we turn ourselves over to him, and we finally answer the question, what do I do? What do I do? You arise and be baptized and wash away your sin.